banana though is the fucking worst of them all because honestly I, I would go on a rant about bananas too because let me tell you something you know you failed as a fruit when you have a side job as a condom aid because <laughs> seriously bananas are just the stupidest things ever invented I hate bananas Damn. they just look like bird poop wrapped up in a yellow <laughs> glove it's just stupid fuck Jimmy Fallon Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, man. there is. An infallible way. They won. Well, it's a casino. People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well... Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain. Sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it. It gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter. Fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? <laughs> Hey guys, welcome into episode 13 of Film Tank. I'm Alex Diekman, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the 2004 comedy classic, Anchorman. On today's episode, we have the usual guys here, Nick Cheney. Afternoon delight. <laughs> you see, here's, it's funny, is, is you missed going to see it in the theater with us. I did. And Kenny was on a warpath saying that we all had to sing the entire song. Oh, man. Kenny, why didn't you say it before we started the episode? No, we <laughs> stood up on the stage in the theater and sang oh, it. We serenaded okay. the entire audience. Yeah. Wow. Which was 16 people who probably nobody ever wants to see again, so... <laughs> Unless you're listening. <laughs> That's can, right. Continue to listen. That, that is true. But if you were at the Paramount Theater in Aurora, Illinois, see Anchorman, and we just made fun of you, keep listening. We're sorry. I, I do want to set the record straight. I did see this in the theater, okay? I mean, it was like 10 years ago. I was going to say 11 years ago, but, you know, it counts. Uh, the other voice you heard already is Kenny Marcellus. Yo! And also, Tucson Egan has graced us with his presence tonight. <laughs> hey yo! With this episode would have come out earlier, but he uh, he was a couple days late. What so. are you talking about? He drove off the driveway again and got stuck. <laughs> that is not yeah. what happened. Stuck yeah. in the bush. The worst part is the snow's melted, so I don't know what you're talking about. Guys. He he had a he had a dinner date, so it's okay. We'll 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 let it pass this time. It's okay. It's all good. Um, so as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about Anchorman uh, later on uh, in this episode. If you'd like to let us know about what you felt about Anchorman, you can email us uh, at filmtankshow at gmail.com or get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. And uh, to, li- for, to listen to uh, the Anchorman episode and all our other episodes, go to filmtankshow.com 
Or you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, either one of those would work. And I just want to really quickly throw a plea out there that if you like what we're doing or you hate what we're doing, please, please, please uh, rate or review us on either of those platforms. Because, yeah, it's... Uh, the iTunes reviews bump us up in the search. They do. And uh, we did get one, actually, but it was it was in Canada. Oh. So it doesn't show up in the U.S. store. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Canada counts, though. But too. hey, you know, if you're listening out there and you live in the U.S. and you want to show Canada who's boss, this is your chance. Blame Canada all That's the way. <laughs> but don't for that Canadian listener, don't don't yeah. don't blame Canada. Though. Thank you, Canada. We didn't like that Terrence and Philip movie uh, that was told as a South Park movie. So. That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, <laughs> um, I don't know why I just brought up South Park. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, Canada and South Park are pretty much synonymous now. They are after that movie, after that lovely rendition that Robin Williams had at the Oscars that year. I remember watching that when I was like a child. Like it, it was literally burned into my brain for some reason, and what? I hadn't even seen the movie because I was too young to see it at that point. Oh, okay. Robin Williams, you yeah, didn't see the, that at the Oscar performance? He did uh, the song "Blame Canada." Really? Did, wait, did he do that? Yeah. Okay. For a moment, I thought he did Kyle's mom the bitch, which would have no that that, that, <laughs> right, that wouldn't have made past the censors. It, it, well, at least uh, in those days, because that Seth MacFarlane tits or boobs or whatever it was, yeah. it's all your boobs. Yeah, that was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> that was. Uh, Seth oh wait, MacFarlane. no, I'm sorry. A million ways to die in the West was one of the worst things I've ever seen. That was just that the was second like the place. second worst. Speaking of Seth MacFarlane, Ted 2 is coming out later this year. I think we're going to do an episode on that. I think so. Everybody except Tucson, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's your beef with that, dude? Don't even make me that guy. Why? Don't even make me that guy. Why? You made yourself I'll, that guy. I'll go see it with you guys. It can't be any worse than Jim in the Hologram. You don't have to. I'm just curious. Oh, my curious. God. Can I talk about Jim in uh, the Hologram? No. Nope, you had nope. to fucking open that can of worms. Well, you know, I know he really wanted to talk about it. He just we're... fucking calmed down from well, talking about it. For... All right. Why don't we move on and we'll go back to talking about fruit like we were before we started recording this episode. Uh, um, so what we're going to do is, I guess, kind of a, a week in review. But uh, this isn't really a film thing, but it is a film. It was just a trailer, though. Tuzat came uh, in. Guns a blazing about this fucking gem in the holograms, and I watched the trailer and I didn't think it was great, but I I, I didn't dog shit. Well, it looked like something that Americans would watch, so I'm sure it'll do just <laughs> yeah. it was dog no, shit. No, I know it's gonna be one of those things that I see the trailer for and throw up in my mouth, and then it's fucking huge yeah. in the theaters, it's and gonna... everybody will love it like pitch perfect. So. Well, right, that's when we started watching the trailer. That's what it reminded me of, and then it's it even said by from the same the, people, from the writers yeah. of Pitch Perfect. Yeah. So, Toussaint, in a few less words than you when you came in and told us about it, give us your feelings on the Gem and the Holograms trailer. See, that's the thing. I don't have any feelings about Gem and the Holograms. It's just you it's, keep, it, it's oh the phenomena God. of Gem and the Holograms, and the internet is just like collectively losing its shit over it. We want to thank the listeners for listening to Toussaint Egan's last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> shut up. Anyway. Um, so when I came in and I told you guys about it, I'm just explaining it to everyone because you guys have no idea what Jim and the Holograms no, is. and I feel like none of the listeners do either. <laughs> you were acting like you introduced us to a Rubik's Cube. This is, this is Gem and the Hologram. This is not some kind of bedrock of people's childhood. Yeah. It is for some people, apparently. It's because, like, it's it's not that I'm I'm angry at the. If the... you discovered penicillin, your reaction would have been reasonable. But Jeb no, no, the Holograms no, no, has no, made no, no sense. No, no, no. Let me finish, okay? Was it really big in Korea or something, or like was was it big in America too? It was. It was. It was one of those standard like '80s like 
merchandise shows like Transformers that like Mattel created. You this... got the touch. Yeah, like that. It's like <laughs> Mattel created this franchise or whatever this this cartoon or to sell like toys to little girls and, and basically the entire premise of Jim and the Holograms is that there's this um there's there's this superhero who like leads like a girl band or some other shit but like watching the internet's reaction to like oh that's not like the story at all it's like as if Jim and the Holograms has a rich and complicated so, canon was this like the cheap knockoff for poor people, Barbie or what? what no, it was like it was like that. almost before. Dude, not only, just like, not not he, only do we not have it, thoughts on it, 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 we've never heard of it. It was like, glam rock it just, Barbie. I was gonna say okay. it seems more like the precursor so, to like I, what I said earlier of like Josie and the Pussycats. So what it really, which made, Tucson had never heard of, by the way. Shut so up! I, I did hear about. I don't know how he's heard of Gem and the Holograms, but not Josie and the Pussycats. because he grew up in a black neighborhood. Oh, shut up! Anyway, oh yeah, we all we all gathered around the communal television to watch fucking Gem and the fucking Holograms. Fuck you, Alex. Anyway, the reason why I lost my shit and I was just laughing so hard, I just broke out into like five straight minutes of laughter because like there was this article on Polygon from Ben Kuchura where his opening line was, I didn't wake up today thinking I would get mad about Jim of the Holograms, but here we are. I'm just like, it's just fucking Jim of the Holograms. That's kind of how I, I felt about this yeah. whole time. You've gotten so angry about it. I was like, I'm not angry. I'm just fucking confused and like... Like, like amused by everyone's I'm anger. St- I'm still convinced you did at least three lines of coke before you <laughs> came here. Not seriously. I know Tony Montana out there trying uh, to find one of those. Just don't, so, uh, what was that? I was about to do his line, but then I completely forgot it in mid sentence. I was gonna say, you know, this town. Say hello to my little friend. No, is that the one thing. Well, no. that's that's the big one. Come on. Well, no, the big one is uh, this town's just a pussy waiting to get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're yeah. up But here. I was going to do it in the accent, and yeah. then I, I had something in my throat, so it was like this mixture of me coughing and yet me also being a Colombian uh, See, if you just would have been a four-pack-a-day smoker for 14 years, you could have fucking nailed that. That is true. <laughs> you know, I know, I don't have many regrets in my life, but that's one of them. <laughs> so does anybody else have anything else to bring to a weekend review other than Jim and the Holograms? Uh, yes, I actually did watch oh, a lot God. of movies this past Jesus. weekend. <laughs> Uh, Go ahead, I, redeem yourself. Okay, I watched uh, <laughs> National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. Oh, fuck you yes. did watch that, okay. and uh, that movie is awful. Now, is, is what? That, oh my god! That, First, Gem of the Holograms, and now that <laughs> is that Jesus the one where they Christ. steal the Declaration of Independence? Yes. Yeah, see, see, here's the thing: Nicolas Cage. There's plays never a, been a better line in Hollywood cinema than "We're going to steal the Declaration of Independence." Okay, so. Nicholas Cage plays Thomas Gates, who is a treasure Seriously. hunter, who is like a descendant of like like some lineage of of, of people. The Freemasons, are... man! Did you even fucking pay attention? <laughs> the Freemasons. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay, whatever. I, I I didn't wear my my tin hat while I was watching this movie. Dude, Dan Shit. Brown wrote a whole book about Freemasonry. <laughs> yeah, he so. did. Yes, he did. It's uh, Robert Langdon, isn't it? So yeah. um, Da Vinci Code. Hello. Yes. Can we talk about that movie instead. No, I want to talk about National Treasure. I want to talk about <laughs> National Treasure right now. Um, so. Nicholas Cage plays Thomas Gates, who is a treasure hunter who steals the Declaration of Independence in order to stop his former employer's bid to steal the Declaration of Independence because he thinks that that person will not take care of it. Whereas he could have just like stayed with that treasure hunter, the the the, the employer, and like save the Declaration of Independence. And it's just this huge roundabout. It, this entire plot makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Okay, you're saying that kind about of like a that movie. review about it. You're say, yeah, you're saying that about a movie in which Nicolas Cage's character takes a water bottle and uses that as a magnifying glass. 
on the on, on, to look for clues on a twenty dollar bill. I mean, this is not really. I'm serious. This is, he does true. do that. Yeah. So yeah. you're saying it was you, great. You, you need to turn your brain off when you go <laughs> you watch turn National your brain Treasure. Off. Oh, that also off. stars one of my least favorite actors of all time, which is uh, John Voight. Because <laughs> not a big John Voight fan. <clears throat> I'm not. Unfortunately, whenever he talks, I feel like he's just holding in a shit, and it just <laughs> it doesn't work for me. <laughs> I thought you were just big on team, team Angelina over there. Yeah. No, no. I, I tried to watch a Midnight Cowboy the other day for the first time, and I couldn't get through it because I honestly wanted to give him some laxatives. He looked like he was in pain. It was not good. But it, And also, it hasn't changed in 30 years. He's still got the same shit stuck up in his ass. There's a great line about that in Enemy of the State about um, him looking like about he's About John struggling. Boyd's ass? <laughs> no. Oh. It wasn't about John Boyd's ass, but about his... Kind of demeanor. There was there was a line about it uh, in uh, Enemy of the State. You still need to see that one. So it's a great movie. Yeah, you you enjoy Enemy of the State? Yeah, it's uh it's actually a spiritual successor to the conversation. Yeah, I was going to say I think we mentioned that yeah. when we did our conversation episode. We did. Yeah. yeah. So, um, moving on, we can review. Uh, Nick, did you have anything you wanted to uh, bring to the table? Yeah, this uh, this past week I watched the uh, the last five years, which is the movie musical that just came out this year. I want to say, or at least it became really readily available this year. Okay, uh, starring Anna Kendrick and Jeremy Jordan, It's based off the off Broadway play uh, by Jason Robert Brown, and the movie itself was directed by Richard Lagravenes. I don't know, but uh, that's <laughs> that's my best attempt at that. And uh, I was a big fan of it. It's got a very interesting structure that reminds me of uh, uh, the movie Blue Valentine, for anybody who's ever seen that, where the movie itself is just about this couple uh, played by Kendrick and Jordan, of course. And what happens is, by the very first scene, you know where the relationship is going, which is that it it ends. Um, But each song is basically – it alternates between – the the female's perspective and the male's perspective, and they're at the complete opposite ends of the, uh, what do I want to say, the timeline of the relationship. So when it starts oh. out, uh, Kendrick's character is singing songs from the very end of the relationship, and Jeremy Jordan's character is singing songs from when they so this, first met. It's like a musical? Yes. Oh. And so each time so they it, go... Is it kind of like <clears throat> a memento thing where it starts on opposite ends yes. and then meets in the middle? It meets in the middle, literally in the middle of a film, oh, and then okay. both... Uh, both narratives keep going past that oh, until so they you, get back so you end up seeing the full from both yes okay. and not only that but once i was kind of surprised once you get to the middle um and it starts to of course you're you're starting to see beats that you've already seen as far as like because you'll literally start to see same like locations used because it's almost like that's the song they would have sang if we were watching it from their perspective which we weren't the first time through but oh. now we are the second time through and and I thought it was like I thought the songs were great. I believe a lot of the songs were performed live, a la like what uh, Les Miserables just did, uh, the the one starring Russell Crowe, and unfortunately, yeah, I was gonna say Russell Crowe probably wasn't the best person to uh, pull out first, but he's he's the most memorable because he was awful yes. singing the entire time. I want to say most of these songs are performed live that way, where the actors are both kind of acting and singing, and because of that, I'm sure a lot of people are not gonna love this because. A lot of the songs are not quite, I would say, soundtrack ready. Like, I downloaded the soundtrack immediately because I really liked the film, so mm. naturally I wanted to keep listening to it. But they don't have those kind of, like, catchy choruses or, like, you know, like, verse A, verse B type structure. There's a lot of, like, talk singing and that kind of stuff. But if you're a fan of musicals and you're tired of, I would say, 
the recent trend in movie musicals, which is to like only pair it with like fantasy settings or uh, into like, the woods. Yeah, even though I kind of didn't like that for some reason. Into but, the woods was horrible. Well, it was not that bad. I thought it was. That well, false ending was shit. I was not a fan. Well, that was. A, that, I mean, then you just don't like the actual Into the Woods musical because that's how it is. And I, I understand that, but for as a person who was already falling asleep, and I was like, oh, it's the end, and then there was an additional fifty-five minutes. I was pretty displeased. With well, that. It had only been like fifty minutes. When I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, but I'm. I'm kind of starting to hate the musical genre in its current form simply because all I ever see are fantasy musicals or like uh, historical pitch, per- pitch perfect or something. Yeah, like or just that. something where they they either don't go all out or they go all out and they have to somehow like make sure that people are like I would say comfortable in the context that the people are singing because it doesn't look like our world. This is just a modern musical where it doesn't look like it takes place in another world. They're just singing their feelings. And uh, the two performances are very good, particularly Jeremy Jordan. I feel like he will have a huge career after this because he honestly was fantastic. And I would recommend the movie alone for his performance. So, Do you know, is was he like previously known for being on Broadway? And on anything? Broadway, yes. Like He wasn't obviously in the this one or whatever but he had yeah. done i know broadway plays and it totally shows because one of the pleasures of watching this film is seeing him basically like uh sing act at the same time in a way that is like so passionate and just completely comes off the screen so i was i was a big fan of uh, the last five years very good I, I don't know if i'll see that i was not a fan of the uh, style of les miserables which Sounds like this is very similar to that. So I will say this. I don't know because I actually have never seen Les Mis, the musical. I've seen the awful uh, film. Joffrey Rush version? Yeah, I, which I hated. <laughs> the musical uh, is wonderful. Is it? Yes. Uh, I haven't seen that. And now, I now, are we talking about the musical movie or the actual musical itself? Or are you talking about the film with Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe? Like, I went to go see a performance of okay. Les Mis oh, Bob. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a classic. At my high school, which was actually really, really good. Like, yeah. one of the best performances I've ever seen of anything. And one thing I was going to say is that I feel like one good thing this movie has going for it, for people who might be skeptical of it, is that the songs do, I would say each song is very different. So, like, it doesn't, he almost gets to play with all these different types of song style. Like, one of them sounds like a Sondheim song, another one sounds more like a glam rock song. So it's not just fucking Little Riding Hood jumping around the entire movie, Into the Woods! No. And, (sighs) uh, so it's kind of like if you you hate one song, you might very well like the next song type thing. So therefore, I feel like it's got enough to at least make it worth finishing, even if someone's not loving it or whatever. So, yeah, I, I, I totally recommended it. All right, very good. Um, I have a couple things I want to mention. First is I watched three of the X-Men films in the last uh, day. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I watched the two newest ones, X-Men Days of Future Past and X-Men First Class, First Class both of which are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I'll mention about either of those is that I think everyone should see them. And I think that... Um, Magneto's killing of Sebastian Shaw in the uh, first class film is one of the best killings of in any film I've ever seen. It's it's just it's just so satisfying and it's funny because that's a really weird movie where like Magneto isn't really a like hero or a villain throughout the entire film and then he makes his like decision at the end of the film. We talked about it on the superhero episode, but it was just that's just an amazing moment in that movie that I was just like yeah, yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. That was great. Um, the other one I watched was uh, the always panned X Men: The Last Stand, and mm-hmm. I actually didn't hate it. Um, I, I gave it three out of five, which is not a great rating, 
But I remembered hating it the first time, and this time through, I totally did not have those feelings. Everyone uh, feels like uh, Britton Rauner ruined the series for that, and they did honestly kind of take care of some of his mistakes uh, in Days of Future Past. That was the whole point of that entire film. It was a huge <laughs> fucking retcon. But at the same time, for me, uh, as someone who really enjoys, uh, or not enjoys, but but I, I, I find there's there, there's something to a director having a franchise and deciding to kill off certain characters, which obviously The Last Stand chooses to kill off multiple major characters, and also I wonder if that's why they called it The Last Stand. Oh, I just blew your mind, didn't I? Not really, because it's the third movie of a trilogy. So, all right, well, you go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I just really enjoyed a lot of the action set pieces in that film, and of some of it's ridiculous, like the that juggernaut character played by uh, um, Vinnie Jones, I believe it is. And they who, took a, a a quote from a meme. There, there was a a viral video of like the X-Men cartoon where somebody was dubbing over the Juggernaut. Oh, and he okay. said, I'm the Juggernaut, bitch. And they used that line oh, really? in the movie. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's, yeah. The more you that know. That explains where their head was at when they were making that film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for me, Proto memes. I, I didn't hate it as much as I remembered. I, don't, I still think it's not as good as a lot of the other X-Men films, but um, I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. The other film I really wanted to quickly mention, uh, since I'm a huge fan of any film that takes place in Las Vegas, uh, this week was the first time I'd ever watched the uh, 1991 uh, Barry Levinson film called Bugsy, uh, which is about um, Bugsy Siegel and his kind of rise to power in both California and then eventually Las Vegas. Take some creative liberties, like the fact that he doesn't actually come up with the idea for the Flamingo Casino in real life, but in the film he does. Um, I just really enjoyed Warren Beatty's performance, because he's one of those really weird actors who really hasn't done a lot when you look at the grand scheme of things, but I, I, I don't know, I just really like... And there is one scene that I definitely wanted to point out in the middle of the film, where he's at home... Um, for his daughter's birthday party. And he also has a, a side girl who is played by Annette Benning, who's the major female uh, who is back in California, who he's dealing with on a phone conversation while he's at his house for a birthday party. And then the his gangster buddies all show up. And the uh, main gangster, who is uh, a real-life gangster, Meyer, uh, not Meyer Wolfsheim, um, Meyer Lansky, uh, who is uh, played in the movie kind of actually pretty well, but I thought it was going to be horrible by Ben Kingsley. Um, but all that together, so they're all three there, the conversation on the phone, the family, and the gangsters, and they're all happening. And it's almost like, it's not like a comedy, but it's ridiculous. He keeps going back and forth to all of them trying to make all this happen. And he's wearing a ridiculous chef's hat because he was just uh, making a cake. And it's just hilarious to see him running back and forth trying to deal with all this. And Warren Beatty, honestly, is is eating up everything in the role because he's playing this very ruthless gangster who um, is honestly fucking insane. So uh, it, it was an interesting movie that probably wasn't the most uh, realistic about uh, a biography that you could have. But I enjoyed it, especially the parts in Las Vegas um, when they actually did a really nice job because they built... 
a, an actual replica of what the actual flamingo was when it opened in another place in the middle of a desert somewhere. And it was just done really well. At least those parts were. I was surprised, too. You, you feel, feel like the Oscars are at a such a different place now. But that got nominated for eight Oscars and won two of them. And I was like, wow, really? This this did that? All right, cool. So hmm. I was a fan of Bugsy. And I would encourage anybody who's a fan of Las Vegas films to check it out. Well, hmm. speaking of movies that are set in Las Vegas, I'm going to make a segue here. Oh. Let's do it. I actually was just watching a movie that partially took place in vegas dodgeball oh okay <laughs> and they had the dodgeball championships in las vegas they stay at the monte carlo i was too. just gonna say alex and i we stayed at the monte carlo last year and uh as Aww. soon as the scene popped up in the monte carlo in one of those shitty outdated hallways <laughs> i was like hey i know that fucking place hey, and those shitty outdated hallways are still there 10 years later after dodgeball came out and they haven't changed a bit nope <laughs> the casino looks just as bad <laughs> Uh, so does Ben Stiller's career. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> damn. Oh, man, I did not. Yes, I did. <laughs> I actually love that because I hate Ben Stiller, so I'm a, I'm a wow, huge Wow, you guys fan. hate Ben Stiller? I don't I'm hate him, I'm, but I, I do think he, at once he was like one of the biggest things right. ever, and he definitely is a yeah. Well, it's funny. We had a conversation about this after watching Anchorman the other night where a lot of there's, there's a lot of comedians, um, just comic actors who have kind of after having a huge moment in, in their career, have kind of tailed off. And yeah, Ben Kevin Stiller. Kevin James? Kevin James. What are you uh, talking about? <laughs> well, Paul, Paul Blart 2 is huge. Yeah, if you, get, if you can get a sequel to Paul Blart, then obviously you're doing something right. Not only that, but isn't that fucking movie somehow still doing pretty well like in no. the box office? After the Avengers came out, it had its moment and then it was done. I thought I heard that he was going to actually join up in one of the Marvel movies, uh, Paul Blart. <sighs> don't, come on, don't even, don't do that. What? That's not Would even, you be surprised? Just saying, he would show up on a little segue. And don't, don't. That would be great. Anyway, so I was inspired to watch Dodgeball after watching Anchorman. For the the body of this episode, um, I decided I needed to see more Vince Vaughn movies, and because uh, I fucking love that guy, that dude is straight up hilarious. Like, he was when, up until like two thousand nine. Dude, or so. that dude, he's still pretty goddamn funny. Like now he, he's in True Detective. I mean, he's not. I don't know. I feel like he he as good as he is in his comedies. Like he he can do more than that. I feel like like he's just a good actor. We'll find out later this year. True Detective. He's going to be a main character on a very. Oh, is that him? He's not going to be funny. <clears throat> I, I no, I didn't know that was him because I saw those posters and you can't even see anything above anybody's fucking nose. Yeah, that was because that's called art. Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, but he has done other dramatic roles before, and he's done pretty well with them. So. No, I agree. One of the movies I always bring up when people bring up Vince Vaughn is uh, Domestic Disturbance with John Travolta, where he plays the crazy uh, evil stepfather. And it's one of those performances where it's like, that's not a very good movie, but he's actually really committed to that role. Right. And it, it does work. I, I think he's just a good fucking actor, but uh, as far as his funny movies go, he definitely peaked with Wedding Crashers. Like that, for me, that's where that's where the peak was. You didn't, didn't like him in The Beautiful Babies? The Beautiful Babies? Didn't even see it. He may not have been like oh, a major character. I was talking about, about Swingers. you never seen Swingers? But he was an you Anchorman. You Swingers? No. Oh, man. But yeah, that man. wouldn't be his peak. That's where he started. I know, but that's but yes. a lot of people. That's almost become like a crazy cult following film. I love film. that film. Yes. I'm sorry, Kenny. We've so taken... Take it, we've been talking over <laughs> no, you. Right. Continue uh, talking about Dodgeball. Yeah, Dodgeball's just... That's a, that's a funny movie. And, and uh, I always kind of... I don't know... It, I want to say it's it's not aging well, but it but it's still very funny when you watch it. But it, I don't you can't 
well, not that you could take it serious ever, but I, I thought it was more of a straight up comedy looking back at it. And then I watched it for the first time in a while and it was just kind of like, it's really absurd, really absurd. Like really I mean, fucking a lot absurd. of those jokes concerning like the teams and whatever, like start to get so not that the movie was ever pushing reality or plausibility, right. but it just gets more and more ludicrous. The well, there's on. a lot of outdated references in that film. Mm. I know Lance Armstrong shows up at yeah. one point Chuck where Norris. Chuck Norris, um, David Hasselhoff shows up as the yeah, but that's fucking awesome. Well, yeah, Hasselhoff is still a very. But uh, if you if you didn't know about the right. German his popularity in Germany in the early two thousands, that would make absolute no sense to you. Yeah. The fucking Monte Carlo's still dated yes. in the movie. The best part <laughs> yeah. of that movie that I always love is Gary Cole and Jason Bateman as the commentators. Those are on ESPN the... eight. The Ocho. Yes. Yeah. I literally I'm not a big fan of sports films, but I always want to see who's going to be like playing commentators <laughs> in any sports film, right. whether it's a comedy or whatever. And that is probably my like the gold standard of hilarious sports commentating <laughs> because there. What's funny is that that movie is so absurd, and yet uh, in this day and age, uh, at least in my opinion, sports commenting can get ridiculously. Uh, I would say off its axis, and yeah. and th- it's like what they're saying in that movie is so hilarious and ridiculous, and yet I can totally see that happening for the most part in real life. We talked about it when we talked. Uh, this is long, many episodes ago. When we talked about the SNL uh, 40th anniversary, they had the uh, the two commentators. Uh, the oh yeah, John Staker, Chuck Staker, whatever his name Greg is, Greg Stink, Greg, Greg Stink, Stink. There it is. Yeah. Every time they go to commercial, they. They're talking about Vagisil. That's right. Yeah, but commentators are just something that we talked about it in the uh, Kenny and I talked about it on the on the baseball episode we did about Bob Euchre playing Harry Talk, Doyle in the about major Vagisil. Yeah, we did not talk about Vagisil. That sponsored that episode. Did it really? Did. I totally forgot about that. If we if we could get Vagisil to sponsor an episode, I would fucking take that in a heartbeat, man. That reminds me, I gotta go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> What else did you want to say about dodgeball, Kenny? I'm sorry. This has gotten way uh, off topic. No, I, or Vagisil. I mean, that pretty much covers dodgeball. It's just it's just a funny movie. And despite what you guys think of Ben Stiller, he always kind of steals that movie I think me. he's very good. I was making a joke just because his career oh, does not yeah. seem very well, viable anymore. But he did kind of move to directorial when stuff. He, when he pumps up the, the crotch of his pants before the... <laughs> which, which actually in real life is his wife. Which I, I had forgot. No, no, no. no, his wife, who's playing the banker in the movie, comes yes. in and he's pumping up his crotch before she comes in. Yeah, she does that a lot, though. Um, as far as like playing opposite of him, like cause she's also the main female in Zoolander. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. do I smell nepotism? <laughs> yeah, I guess. So what's for dinner? Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> one more thing, if we have time to talk about it. If not, we can just cut let's, it out. Let's All right, do we'll it. cut it out. Um, <laughs> I my 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 interest was peaked in returning to the Scream franchise this week. Ooh, okay. To which I realized that a television series is coming out yeah, on MTV. MTV. Yeah, saw the trailer. <sighs> I'm not sure how I feel about this. Don't feel anything. Well, you know what's funny is they can't uh, they cannot use the um, the ghost face mask. What really? The they do not have like they're making a Scream television series, uh, literally based boy. on the property of you know the Scream film. Franchise. Right, it, it's but a they throwback. Also, then what's the point? They also do not have the rights it's to even, use ghost faces. Uh, to use ghost face mask. At least I believe that's what I. It's read. even set in the same town and everything. If I'm wrong, then you can cut that out of the episode. But I'm ninety percent sure that's what I read because that's what's yeah so bizarre about that entire 
thing. I love the film franchise. You heard that, listener. Yeah. Even Nick the, will eat his own shoe if he's wrong. I will. Um, but no, I even the uh, the quote unquote bad one, as far as like the one that pe- most people don't like, like even four, I think it's always fun to watch. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the fourth one. The new so one, you should. Yeah, was it worth watching? I, I, I think it's better than three. So really, yep. okay. I don't know. I mean, I, I just the the quick synopsis on it: what starts as a YouTube video going viral soon leads to problems for the teenagers of Lakewood. And serves as the catalyst for a murder that opens up a window to the town's troubled past. Like this sounds unfriend. This sounds like unfriended. I was gonna say it sounds like Final Destination Five. Well, the so. only thing that it sounds like a lot of bad movies. See, <laughs> see, what's confusing about that to me is if they if they are so limited in what they can. Like when I read that, I, I see potential to throw back to the original movies and bring stuff back from the yeah. franchise. But if they can't even use the the mask, I mean, what the hell? Yeah, I, that's I that's know. gonna gonna nosedive within the first season. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I don't know. I just I was curious what you guys just thought like because American I, Skins. I actually really enjoyed the Scream franchise, so I'm, yeah. I've never really been that into it. So I don't have that much to say about. it. I just want to clarify that I am right. However, there was more development after that, which is that it may or may not make its appearance. But at least at the start of development, they were having trouble getting the rights to the uh, Ghostface mask. Sounds like uh, some that's going to be stuck in late in the season. I was going to say, I feel like now that means that it will be in there for sure, but it won't be the uh, the main MO or It'll whatever. give a cameo in yeah. the uh, eighth episode or yeah. something like some, that. In the news article I just read, they said something like the, the true mask of the show will be a, a more evolved or something. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really... Uh, Is it going to be metal and have like graded like, like partitions all across it? It's going to look uh, futuristic. Now, now I want to watch this show. I don't want to watch that shit. All right, anyway. guys. I, th- that was a very spirited version of We Can Review, so I enjoyed it. Especially Tucson. I, I loved what you brought to the table there. Yeah, Good job, buddy. I, I, I love. I, I don't care about Gemma Holograms. And that's the last time we're ever going to talk about it on this show. Oh, we're not going to go see it? No. Oh. Absolutely not. Not a fucking chance. Uh, the epi- the uh, movie we will be talking about today, though, is Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, which came out in 2004. It is a comedy classic. Involves Ron Burgundy, who is San Diego's top-rated newsman in the male-dominated broadcasting of the 1970s. But that's all about to change for Ron, as him and his cronies uh, face an ambitious woman who is hired <laughs> as a new anchor. Film stars Will Ferrell in a classic role as Ron Burgundy. Also, uh, Christina Apple, Applegate, uh, Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, David Koechner, Fred Willard and a uh, host of other people that include both Seth Rogen and Paul F. Tompkins in the same right. scene, yes. which is delightful. Um, this is a, a classic comedy for me, and really the first true comedy we've talked We talked about The Big Lebowski. Uh, there's a lot more to The Big Lebowski than just comedy, even though it was a you know comedy bread and butter. Not bread and butter, but it's a comedy film, but there's more to it than most comedy films that you would think of when you say the genre of comedy. Oh, yeah. yeah I could have said it better myself. Oh, yeah, really? Okay, very good. <laughs> You're so funny. Because <laughs> we're talking about comedies, right? That's right. Channel 4 News with five-time Emmy Award-winning anchor Ron Burgundy. Cham Kynes Sports. Rick Tamlin Weather. And your reporter in the field, Brian Fantana. It's Channel 4 News at 6 o'clock. So, Kenny, you're the comedy guy here. You're the resident comedy watcher. Why don't you start us off with uh, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy? Um, Yeah, so Anchorman for me is, 
not only my favorite comedy, it's right up there with my top movies ever. Um, I, I give it a, a perfect score just to spoil what my rating is going to be later on. Um, I just, every time I watch this movie, I, I feel like even though I know it all the way through, there's still parts that, that just make me laugh like it's the first time I heard it or little things that I maybe caught but forgot about. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I love, love, love everything about this movie. Um, I love the, I love the character development of each of the uh, the, the the main the core the the, the anchor crew or the, Bri the, Man, the, the the news crew news the, the news team yeah um, but not just them it's it's the as the movie goes on it's it's the other news channels that get rolled into it and then it kind of uh, escalates into the big news crew fight at some point in the movie but um, yeah I just. I don't know. I I feel like I could never ever get sick of this movie, no matter how many times I watch it. Um, one thing I I always like about it, and it's kind of weird. Like I, I just assumed it had a R rating, but it but it doesn't. And and I always like how the entire film they they dance around dropping the word fuck, like they just never do until it finally gets to the point where Ron Burgundy says, "I'm Veronica Corningstone," and I'm Ron Burgundy. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. Like, like it just it just finally hits that pinnacle, and it's like you you feel so many times they're so clever with the jokes that they use in this movie and the way that they say things that you you keep thinking it's going to come out of somebody's mouth and it doesn't until that point, and then it hits, and it's just delightful. There is the, an extended scene in the unrated cut, which is the version I own for whatever reason I don't know. But remember when that when that was all the rage when every movie had to have some kind of unrated cut. And I literally think there's only one scene added to this unrated cut, and all it is is after he says it on the air. It is kind of funny, I'll admit. Um, he's being like dragged away by like this angry mob outside the station, and he keeps saying it over and over. Don't you know I would never say the word fuck? I would fucking never say the word fuck. And it goes on for like a good two minutes, and he's it's great. So, but yeah, no, I, yeah. I agree with you as far as like when it comes. It's like the first time I saw it, it was actually pretty shocking because I forgot that we were watching kind of a raucous comedy. And then when he said that on the air, mm-hmm. it's just a very good. Well, good it, so. it just it, that joke hits so hard because they do and you you kind of don't realize it until it's said that they danced around saying it the entire movie and they also that is it's you know if we want to talk about like structuring of jokes it is technically a callback to uh damn it who put the question mark in right, the teleprompter yes. don't you know that anything and so it's kind of a very funny it's both a you know it, it would seem like a repeat of the joke if it wasn't just a very good evolution right. of the joke so yeah it's very good and and outside of the character development that i like so much it's just it kind of captures the, the the time of of life where the news anchor was a, a huge deal the like, 1970s yeah. right like yeah. it just captures that there was time no period internet. so well yeah when you got your news from watching the news and that was your source and i don't know just everything down to the costumes that they put them in just yeah. ridiculous shut right. up everyone ron burgundy's on <laughs> right and and uh uh brian fantana paul rudd yeah. he he's my favorite in this movie out of the out of the team um, I, I guess I heard somewhere that he, he actually showed up for his audition in costume and like, ultimately that's what won him his, his job in this because he, he showed up full blown costume. Like he went all out and just showed up that way and they were so impressed by it, but he knew this was going to be big. R- well, yeah, that, and it's just like he showed up full regalia. 
full regalia. This was like Paul Rudd's like true introduction into Breakout. true comedy. He even wore a little bit was... of Sex Panther. Like he'd been around. Like he's got really random roles in like the uh, Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet movie in the late nineties. Right, and he was also one of the best characters in the uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, you know, the David Wayne film. Uh, but, but yes, this was what made him a star. Yeah. And now he's going to be the Ant-Man. Him and uh, <laughs> Steve Carell. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Steve Carell. Brick is just... Oh. I mean, I say Brian Fantana is my favorite of the crew, but I, I I, always... Every time I watch this movie, I laugh the most at Brick. He's just he's so... He's, he's just so dumb, but I don't know why he delivers his lines the way he does so well, but it's just... Well, it's also the use of him for me. I mean, he, the great thing is they pretty much use him as a scene capper. Like, right. he doesn't talk for almost the entire scene. Yeah. And then all of a sudden at the very end, right. he'll say the most unexpected thing ever. And then yet they'll just keep going to the next Bears! <laughs> Bears! I, I have to say that, that even though I love Brick, I, I think that Champ is my favorite character. Just, Whammy! Just, whammy! Just for the first like line after their their big party, like I even like laughed about it when we got out of the theater, where it's just like I woke up in a Japanese family's rec room and they just would not stop screaming. <laughs> I was just like, what? Oh, I wish man. that scene was actually in the movie. <laughs> yeah, David Keckner is. This is like his like role, like champ kind. Like I feel like everybody when there was talk of being an Anchorman sequel was like, eh, and I'm sure David Keckner was like, yeah, let's make one, let's do it. He tried to audition for it and everything, <laughs> and they're like, no, you you know you're already playing the character. Right? <laughs> I know. I just thought I could do something differently. And unfortunately, not to get too much into Anchorman two, but they try to kind of uh, build his character more, and he's more of a prominent role and. Just it just doesn't work out. Yeah, Anchorman two. What's great about Anchorman is that I feel like it's ninety minutes or something. Yeah, I feel like that's. I'm a fan of the sequel actually, but I feel like if it was thirty minutes shorter, I'd I would really like it. And the 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 scene that Kenny always told me from Anchorman two that I said was elongated and he did not understand what I was talking about. I think because I've only seen it once, so I, I guess I could kind of see her saying. But the entire scene that involves the shark and the blindness thing, I hate it oh, from man, the second That's, that's one of my favorites. Ugh. Only because that's the kind of absurd humor that I do love from Adam McKay, which, I mean, it's, it's taken straight from the very first film, too, as far as, like, the time when Ron and uh, Veronica have sex and, you know, they go through that, like, whole... The crazy cartoon. Yeah, you Pleasure know, like, Town or Pleasure Town. Like, there, there's more jokes, and yet that's the kind of absurdity. Uh, yeah, but I but love the was... Pleasure Town thing, and I hated the blindness shark thing, so... <laughs> well... I... Te- teach his own, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's... Oh, man, I'm just laughing thinking about the shark now. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny, what else did you have to say about Anchorman? I, I mean, I got a lot more to say. We'll talk about it more as we go into it, but, yeah, just overall... I, I love this movie. Well, I will uh, have to uh, jump right up on your coattails. I am a big fan of Anchorman. It is a five out of five for me too. Um, I, I don't know why. Like, I'm not even that big of a comedy fan anymore. Like, growing up as a kid, I watched like with my older brother, of course, because a horrible influence on me. <laughs> I watched like Caddyshack and uh, films like that all the time. And I, I feel like even though this is not like a complete dirty film, like Caddyshack is. This is just such a great comedy, and almost every scene has a moment that makes me fall over my seat laughing, even if I'm just sitting there by myself. And that's a good judge for me, at least, of a good comedy film. If I'm actually laughing, if I'm watching by myself, it's mm. it's, it's doing its job. Well, and it never hits any dull moments either. I feel like this movie never has any lulls in it where you kind of find yourself 
you know, out of out of the movie. Even ever. The, even the parts that are not like I would say lulls, are, like they they pay off later. Like, and I I, I really do love all the stuff with uh, Vince Vaughn and Wes Mantooth, but I could see people like being like, oh, this is kind of dumb. Like, like just trying to think of what people wouldn't like about the film. But that totally gets paid off in that huge scene with all him and uh, Tim Robbins shows up for some reason. Yeah. Ben Stiller is. Uh... The, the Mexican news, yeah. Spanish the language, Spanish channel. language channel, and I know we're not talking about the second film really. That you know, we're I don't know if we're going to talk more about it, but it's canon. Yeah, what? I'm sorry, I'm, I was confused. <laughs> I was like, it's canon, so we can talk yeah, about it's, it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in the same. Yeah, <laughs> but I feel like the great part, and Kenny, you mentioned this when we saw the movie earlier this week. Uh, the great thing about that first. Um, big duel scene is that all these people showing up, it really was like, holy shit, fucking Tim Robbins? Like, what? And in the second film, it was like, oh, Will Smith, Jim Carrey, okay. Fucking Kanye West. Yeah. Marion Cotillard. See, that was kind of, that was kind of one of those things. I was about, saying, that was actually a, like a nice, like, whoa, what the fuck? But that's what was, <laughs> what was great about Tim Robbins in the first film, that it was kind of random that you didn't expect it. Um, but yeah, there's so many things about the first Anchorman film that I just really did genuinely love. And I, I didn't even love it the first time in the theater. Like, I, I, I thought it was okay. Well, it's funny you say that because that was kind of the general consensus with this movie. Big Once time. it got released on video, that's when I started hearing people talk about it. It's like it didn't exist when it was yeah, in theaters. This movie didn't do well in the theaters. Yeah. It wasn't until afterwards that it kind of became almost like a cult. Kind of, it was like you know. the film for like a good year that was always in people's DVDs players. Uh, like when you'd go over to their house and whatnot, and it'd always be on in the background. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say because this film came out in 2004 and I saw it in the theater. So 2005, the year I graduated from high school, I, I congratulations. Went, thanks, I'm really <laughs> proud of that. Ten years ago now, um, I went to a, a friend had a we went to a party at a. Uh, it wasn't a frat house, but it was like some sporting house for some lacrosse team at Purdue University. This is so random. But pretty much everybody at that party was spent the entire time quoting Anchorman. And it was just the greatest thing ever. All these and I was, you know, eighteen at the time, getting fucking shit faced, reciting Anchorman quotes. This is like the greatest moment of my life at this party. I was like, This oh, is awesome. It is a very quotable movie. There's yes. so many lines from this movie that I remember even like I, I don't know, I because and I was kind of surprised when I saw it in the theater because I I had been so excited about it that I remember watching just previews for it and being excited and already being quotable just from seeing the trailers for it. I say that one quote all the time. Which one? Oh, of course I have to specify. It's when he uh, says, I'm lonely, I'm not lonely. <laughs> I, I always like the I'm stuck in a glass case of emotion line when he's on when he's on the payphone. And yeah, when Jack Black kicks the dog dude, off that, the bridge. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> you destroyed the only thing that I love. <laughs> what do you love? I was like, well, I love and scotch. It's, and it's because it was so fake looking when he kicked yeah. the dog. It you switches could... to a stuffed animal. <laughs> it's meant to. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was meant to, and that's... That, I don't know. I, I just feel like they there were, there were so many things in this movie that were so funny because they didn't try too hard like it i don't know the anchorman 2 i feel like i've done a, a, a disservice to as much as i like anchorman 1 i never gave the second the time of day like i didn't care for the idea of it when it came out i didn't see it right away because i knew it would never live up to what the first one was I, in my I, I mind think the people who made it didn't give it the time of day either because i feel like there was talk about when they were making it the like people from the studio like were walking through 
the set and we're like looking at the script and saying, what the fuck is this? Like reading the script and saying, they have no idea what's happening. It, like, trust us. It, it's, it's going to be really good. It just felt too much like a cash grab. Like, yeah. And, and it kind of was, but you know what? I, I feel like Anchorman two. And again, I'll, I'll get off this tangent and we'll get back to this one. But, um, I, I, I think, and I remember enjoying parts of the second one very much. Like it was a pretty funny movie. The first 15 minutes with Harrison Ford are golden to me, but I, yeah. I would like to give it another shot. I've just never really given it the proper time of day, but it's on Netflix at the time it would be, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It just, everything in it felt forced compared to the first was just everything hit. It hit right. And the, they didn't, they never seemed like they were trying too hard. It was just natural. It because just all flowed naturally. Anchorman didn't have a precedent to it. It's like so, it's true. like just ki- kind of talking about like true. my feelings about it. It's like going off of what you're talking about, Kenny. That I didn't really, I, I think I came in with the preconception of what I wanted out of Anchorman film, mm-hmm. and I was kind of like let down on that front. Right. But I think that on its own, Anchorman Two is a is a serviceable film. It's just that Anchorman, the original, is such a lightning in the bottle film. Like yeah. I think that it has a really tight script, and I think that the mark of Good comedy, whether it's a good comedic television show or a good um, comedic movie or even just like a good comedy skit, is that it has a – and I'm trying to like think of what, what the trope name of it would be, but it's pretty much the comedic version of Chekhov's gun where they, they set up something that seems like very incidental at the time and then it kind of like swells to something like – really important towards the end like the whole teleprompter line like that was a funny joke in and of itself but then it actually turns later on into a major like plot shift by the way uh tv tropes does have a name for this which is uh, called a brick joke oh yes yes the brick joke from uh community as well yeah yeah where they actually (laughs) turn that into a literal brick joke with the brick but it's where a something basically an incidental thing is mentioned or uh action happens uh anywhere in a plot of a tv show or a movie and it's almost like you might there might not even be a joke attached to it and then all of a sudden like later way down the line in the tv episode or the movie all of a sudden it will get paid off Chekhov's gun and a brick joke are so simple when you just take them out of their like for example um one of the most uh famous examples of a brick joke actually Tucson just mentioned this so I will just explain this mm-hmm. in the show community in this third season uh, in one of the very early episodes uh, they were having a party at one of the main characters apartment and a character walks in and goes just so you know you should uh, use a brick to host open your uh, apartment door and they're like yeah we know and uh, we have to do that because uh, the buzzer doesn't work or something like mm-hmm. that there's no joke attached to that whatsoever flash forward 15 episodes later <laughs> A cop is at the apartment because he's uh, he got called there for a uh, noise complaint or whatever, and he sees the brick that they have brought into the apartment, and he starts talking about how he's a brick collector because he like they're a rare brick. I mean, you know, it's absurd and whatever. Yeah. But it's literally it, it was only possible because of the mention and the 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 uh, shall we say um, I don't know what you want to call it, but the inclusion of this brick in that other episode. So it's kind of like what seems incidental at first was actually set up for a joke that you could have not possibly known was going to happen way down the line. Yeah. It sounds like the uh, the Netflix season of... Um... Arrested Development? Yes. Yes. And yeah. that's... Obviously, that's almost something kind of different because of how 
intricate. Yeah, that is kind of where is. you don't realize that this is set up for this and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. And, and but that's the equivalent of like what a Chekhov's gun is, which is like in Breaking Bad, it was the rice and cigarette because you saw the rice and cigarette, and then you were wondering who's going to get poisoned by the rice and cigarette. And I, so that's uh, why a brick joke is kind of different because Chekhov's gun is like you're is wondering dramatic. you're wondering when it's going to pop up. A brick joke does not call attention it's to itself until the joke is paid off. Right. Very good. So after that seven and a half minute tangent, back <laughs> to Dusan talking about, about his feelings on Anger Man. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I think that brick jokes are definitely the mark, at least in my opinion, of a very well thought out, intricately like written, tightly written like comedy script, and that's what Anchorman has. I rewatching with uh with you guys, with Kenny and with Alex, I was just surprised to be able to have picked up as many cameos as I was and to see how this film became Maybe not like a precursor, but kind of like a a major touchstone for a lot of these people's careers. Like Seth Rogen was the fucking cameraman in the background. Yeah. It was just like – Well, that was more of a cameo though because I, he I, was already not popular or anything like that. But he was in Judd Apatow's two shows, Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared. Yeah. And this is a Judd Apatow-produced comedy. It's, it's just so crazy. and, and uh, So that wasn't so much that he was undiscovered, but he was just in, ter- in. In terms of film though, he was not on the radar really. No, no, that's what I – But I'm just saying yeah, it's not yeah. like it was like he was this undiscovered actor Pineapple Express and that It was more yet. like he was, I would say – Super. Well, not, Knocked Up was his first yeah. real film. Because that was the first Judd role. Apatow directed film. So yeah. that's the whole thing is that he was just getting this little part because he, uh, Judd Apatow, I'm but assuming, was... In terms of like cameos, though, like like I mentioned earlier, Paul F. Tompkins mm-hmm. showing up. And... Danny Trejo. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah. Um, this Fred Armisen. Pretty much pole vaulted uh, Will Ferrell's career and pretty much it's the... It, it, it's both a blessing and a curse because now everything kind of like that he's made since then has, including Anchorman Two, of course, like like stands in the shadow of Anchorman. Like, yeah, but there was a good three years there where he could do anything. Like, yeah, I was gonna say like even, even Semi Pro, which I don't even think is a great movie. I feel like it's hilarious because I enjoyed it the first time, so I keep enjoying it every time I see it. I like it. that one because that's one of his few rated R movies. So yeah. it's so over the top. I also like the the cultural commentary in Anchorman just like being in the 70s and kind of like having like women's rights and stuff like that and Victoria just like becoming like the first in the actual like story of I mean Veronica Veronica mm-hmm. I mean yeah get but, her name right all sorry right. do you sorry. watch the movie I did watch the movies like Veronica becoming the first like female anchor and everyone is so comically against it where it is Br- anchor man not anchor woman exactly and brick <laughs> Brick having like the best line where it's oh, just like yeah. I hear their period blood attracts bears. Bears can smell the menstruation. Which, which again that led up to the scene at the end where oh she my fell God, in, the, yes. in, the, in the bear exhibit at the zoo. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. You were gonna say Oh, something. I was just gonna say I think this is something we should definitely talk about right now. I mean it's it's the middle menstruation? of menstruation? No. <laughs> Vegisil. <laughs> what do we talk about? I'm glad you brought that up because Kenny mentioned something I think is interesting that there were a couple parts in this film that he thought wouldn't happen in comedies these days. Including that. Mm-hmm. Including that and the other part where after uh, Burgundy says something and then David Koechner's character says something, you sound like a gay. And he was Kenny was remarking that he thought that would not happen in a comedy these days. Yeah, there were a couple of lines that were in this movie that uh, it... I don't consider this an old movie, but it is 10 years old now at this point, and I feel like some of the cultural 
issues that are in today's society well would but this is in the 1970s yeah i was gonna say technically i don't know that you can't really apply a modern context to it because they were spoofing the societal norms back then yeah well i understand that past i understand that but i I feel like even if they still were to do this nowadays there are jokes that that would not hit in a movie that was made now even if it was spoofing something well the 70s i agree with that but the, the difference is because it was set in the seventies, and it was clearly targeting that machismo and uh, completely ignorant attitude. Whereas today, I think it's even worse because today we still make those jokes, uh, which can be deemed offensive, and yet we think that they're just funny on their own. Like I'm going to bring it back to like the final punchline of the god awful Kingsman <laughs> with the anal sex. You know, like that's the kind of thing that like I'm sorry, but uh, that's the only thing you remembered about that movie. Was it that. is because well, I'm sorry, but that's what he wanted Kingsman that final legend to be. of the anally penetrating. Traded princess, yes. as as Nick put it, that that is how I put it. Yeah. And um, but no, but like that's the kind of joke that like that's you literally walked back this male well, chauvinism fifty years because that's the kind of thing that actually would have been joked about so many long ago. But that's a movie that takes place in modern day context, and there were uh, so many people in our theater laughing at that because we've I feel like we've actually regressed as a society when it comes to our cultural uh, comedies. And the reason why Anchorman endures the test of time is because it is a microcosm of the 70s, and we don't have to judge it for like, oh, well, that's just how they were because that is actually how they were, and even the film was in on that. They even had street battles just like that. Right. I don't know. There, there was just I, – I don't know. I still get what you're saying. It was meant to be like the movie takes place in the 70s, but there was specifically a gay joke and a retard joke that it's it's fucking funny. It's a comedy. You're right. supposed to fucking not take it serious, but people nowadays, they so get brazen their fucking face. panties in a wad about every fucking thing. Well, that was a sexist comic, Kenny. <laughs> that actually was a sexist comic, Kenny. <laughs> Well, uh, just roll fine. with it. Just roll that's with it. That's fine. Just go. Again, my point being, if you're offended by that, go fuck yourself. Because I'm joking. Like, it's a joke. And <laughs> in this movie, they're jokes that I just feel like wouldn't land because they would just fucking offend people. Like, I I don't know. I, maybe I'm off on that. but I understand what you're saying, but I feel like the... They they didn't offend back then the same way they don't offend now because of the time. No, no, no. I know, I know back then they right. didn't offend. But, but I'm saying if you made this movie just like they made Anchorman two, I don't think anybody was really offended by anything. That well, I, I, I'm I curious saw... though if there were any gay or retard jokes in the second Anchorman. There was a there was black a, joke. I was going to say there was Anchorman two. There was black jokes for the unrated version that made me feel really uncomfortable when I went to go see with my friends Bevan and Corinne, who are white by the way, and I'm just like sitting in my chair like, oh, we all but, feel but bad. I'm not disagreeing with you or Kenny, where they were saying, but you look at a film like Django Unchained, yeah. and all of that is Quentin Tarantino is a very, I don't even know how to call it, but he's a very... He's an honorary pushed, black person. Put, well, well, not really. <laughs> he likes <laughs> to he, think so. He, he I know, pushes I know, boundaries, yeah. but in, in that film... They they clearly use the uh, the lingo that was happening in the in the late and the parlance. And sometime. what happened? People were fucking pissed about it. Well, I don't know. people are I don't always know pissed that. when Dude, he uses well, that. I, it's not yeah. just for Django; people, it's for Pulp Fiction. It's for entire. That's Oval. my point, though. People nowadays are fucking pissed about everything. You I mean, I don't think. I guess we. I think you're. I would say conflating is the internet is bigger these days, so we we hear we hear about it more. There's I don't more think. People are necessarily more mad about it than they are now. I do obviously think, in they one sense, we are 
they just have a bigger they have a platform. Yeah, they just have a yeah. bigger platform that is so much more noticeable. Right. And I do think you are right in the sense that we do live in the age where we like. I mean, we it, just saw Joss Whedon get kicked off of Twitter yeah. because of people <laughs> not being able to shut their mouths about yeah. how he's a sexist everything's pig. They call him a racist. Everything's yeah, got, everything's got to be PC. And, so, yeah, but however, there is also there there are lines that have to be drawn at some point because right. like um, what as we see every fucking year with the Oscars, those jokes are horrible. Not only are they horrible, but they they're they're just so unnecessarily, I would say, politically incorrect. Wasn't, wasn't even the uh, wasn't the Oscars? Wasn't it the uh, the Golden Globes? It wasn't it Tina Fey or Amy Poehler had some. Uh, really off-putting joke about Bill Cosby, which was totally... People did not receive it very well. From yeah, they didn't receive it very well, but I thought that's and, fine because that's a right. that's a time and place where uh, yeah it, uh, where that target is. I would say. And I, I thought it was funny, but I yeah, think that's kind was, of going with what Kenny was it saying. It was hilarious. Though. Yes, yeah. but people don't know how to take a fucking joke nowadays. It, it's I, just, I guess that just depends who you talk to. But the people that I see that get vocal about like the jokes, they don't you know can't whatever are more i would say aimed at like the the people who just don't seem to be trying uh like you know these movies that come out that i like like get hard just came out actually and that was uh lambasted with a lot of uh homophobic uh i'll say attacks because there was a lot of jokes in that movie that centered around with the idea that will ferrell well i mean it is 2015 and there were jokes in that movie that basically had the yeah. baseline of there's nothing worse than a man seeing another man's penis or something like that where like but, no, I'm just saying like but again it's a fucking comedy don't take it so fucking serious this yeah, is, well, you this is the kind that. of shit that pisses me off like it's I mean, are you going to go see a stand-up comic and be offended by every joke he makes because he's not being politically correct? No, I mean, see, I'm but here's the, here, here, here's what I'll say about that though there's a way to do things tastefully in a way not to like look what happened with Michael Richards when he had that stand-up thing and well, he just okay, got dude, that uh, was just fucking ignorant that was I mean, a that, fucking that, joke okay, there, there comes a point when you just realize that like he's not trying to joke he was pissed what you, that's about a horrible Tosh excuse that, went on his rape joke rant dude again if anybody I'm, I'm, if anybody's I'm, I'm ever offended by Tosh.0 again go fuck yourself because he's oh see, I mean, wow no, I'm right, not offended yeah, look, we need to change this conversation okay. because I'm just gonna well, keep no, getting I, upset about it okay okay, I, okay. that's fine I'm mean, back to Anchorman it's, it's all supposed I guess you to can't take a joke <laughs> <laughs> wow let's put a smile oh, on that face of yours Anyway. So, Nick, uh, what did you think about Anchorman? I fucking hated it. How about that, Kenny? <laughs> uh, I actually am probably going to be the, uh, I would say the lowest okay. uh, person on this uh, podcast because I don't love the movie, and I used to, but I did rewatch it, and I got to say, it kind of fell in my esteem. I feel like the biggest thing I took away from rewatching it so many years removed from its cultural heyday is that Anchorman is a is a much it's way more fun to quote Anchorman than it is to watch Anchorman. Like hmm. that's how I feel about the movie because I feel like unfortunately, and this is not the movie's fault per se, but I've heard these lines so many times that I personally do not find their original context. As funny, it's been too saturated into our culture, so that divorce from the context yes. is still. I just mean, lost you know, just, I mean, there now 
luckily Anchorman is a hilarious movie and there are so many jokes in it that I still get a lot of enjoyment yeah. from it. Uh, but there are a lot other Will Ferrell movies from that kind of time period that I feel like have held up better. Like my favorite uh, Anna McKay and Will Ferrell collaboration is actually Talladega Nights. Because, huh. And maybe that's because not a lot of people wow. do quote from that. But I feel like the satire in there is a little better from this one and I feel like uh, I like the more improvised nature in it. What? Um, and I don't want to go back too far to this last co- conversation we just had about kind of those things, but Jean Girard, played by <laughs> Sasha Baron yes. Cohen, is a homosexual NASCAR yep. driver. Um, he, right? He, he yeah. is. Is he not? All right. Oh, yeah. Andy Richter he's, plays he's, his he's, husband. Well, he's, that, that's he's right, French. French. He's, well, yeah, he's, he's French. French and he, yeah, I guess but, he did have a husband. I, 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 I couldn't I, remember if they actually drove that I, one I think or. that's uh, kind of what Nick's getting at, is that Will Ferrell and Adam McKay were aware of, of this, and they are kind of poking fun at that. Because yeah. there's even the, the comment by the... I, uh, I always fall in my chair laughing the because... Sports. The sports announcer yes. was saying he is sitting on the pole, which, by the way, we mean he's <laughs> no on the reference. first position, not that he's sitting on another man's penis. That is a, yeah, well, he said that is a no reference to the man's sexual orientation, <laughs> yeah. which is a very, which is great because then they're uh, lampshading their own political correctness, like, oh, we can't say that now, you know. Um, but that is actually, I think that. I'm not going to go too far into Talented Nights or anything like that, yeah. but I do think they have similar themes, uh, Anchorman and Talented Nights, where they're both kind of lambasting this American ideology of like what it takes uh, to, I don't know, kind of like what fuels our society, where in, like, in the 70s... What does it take to get ahead? Kind of, like, or at least what did get ahead, because in the 70s it was this male chauvinism that was finally kind of peeled back and... Um, Sex Panther. Yes, thank you, Tucson. Please keep doing that. Sorry. <laughs> And so, but like something like Talligan Nights is actually, I think, a way more scathing indictment of America as a whole. Because when you look at NASCAR, at least, like that is America stripped down Uh to its most basic parts. You're making a big mistake right now. You got the biggest NASCAR fan in the world right now. I'm just saying, the most racist, homophobic. Huge mistake. Well, (laughs) no, that's fine because. Like I was just bitching about, it's a fucking comedy. It's right. supposed to poke fun at. That's it. what and I mean. Like I, 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 I don't that. think I, that it's in any way saying that like NASCAR is a well, bad I, thing or anything. But I think it's using the culture of NASCAR well, the to stereotypes expose. are very easy to expose, and yeah, like, they well, do that very well. Well, and I think NASCAR, and this is totally getting way off topic, but but NASCAR has even been like going out of its way to get away from those stereotypes that were right. very prevalent through the 1970s through the mid 1990s. Agreed. And Talladega Nights just wouldn't let it go. Yeah, <laughs> which <laughs> made it hard. Yeah. Made it real hard for him. But going back to Anchorman, um, it, yeah, like it's kind of when I rewatched it, I was finding myself a little bored during a few scenes because okay. I felt like it is so bad to say, but like I felt like I had heard it before. And I, just because of how, like Tucson said, it was so oversaturated. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that the movie doesn't is not funny, because I, I genuinely really like the movie, and I think it is funny, and I'll watch it again and again. But I remember when I used to watch this movie, and maybe that's part of reason why I don't love it as much, but I used mm-hmm. to watch it like 50 times a month or whatever. When I first got it on DVD, I was probably like 14, so I was like right at that target demographic of just like eating up every single juvenile reference to whatever. Um, but there are so many moments in this movie that are fantastic. For me, the actual standout of the film is Fred Willard. Yes. Uh, him uh, as the boss. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. I was just looking at his character. I know you're a big him. fan of Christopher Guest films. I'm so. a big fan of Christopher Guest films, but I also specifically, 
I'm not always a big fan of Fred Willard in all of his films, even okay. though I do love him, but he's never like my favorite part. He's my favorite part of this film because he's a little more restrained and he's also doing what I call his best Bob Newhart impression, <laughs> who made his living as a stand-up comedian doing these one-sided phone calls, <laughs> which he literally, that's one of the best reoccurring jokes right. in this uh, movie is all the, 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 under- the phone calls that he has to have with uh, about his son. His crazy fucking kid. Yes. So <laughs> put, oh my God. Put down the gun, son, and let the marching band go. All that. We'll just chuck it up to a childhood prank. It turns out my kid was on this thing called acid, and he just the, the, just the best one is the one with German pornography. Yeah, we've all yeah. seen our we are our fair share of pornography. Oh, you haven't? I'm sorry, sister. I was just speaking in general. All right, gotta go, sister. Yeah. <laughs> but like the delivery of those, which I feel like are actually, and I actually mentioned that because that, that's one of my favorite kinds of jokes. Because I mentioned it the same thing as the Big Lebowski when Jeff Bridges right. has the conversation with Walter, where mm. that actor has to be so good at reacting to essentially nobody that it. Fred Willard completely stole the movie for me between those scenes and just some of his other lines. But uh, I got to say there, I mean, not everything holds up. For example, I'm not a big fan of Champ. I, I, I think it just kind of wore out his welcome. You were saying that, uh, and this is... David well, Koechner? Yeah, that yes. David Koechner uh, performed at one of your friend's I, colleges and, I have a friend and was, was horrible. Yes, I have a friend that goes to, or went to University of Iowa and went and saw David Koechner do stand-up at mm. their school. And he said that it was... Not just god awful, but that like people were leaving the stadium uh, or the auditorium or whatever because of how bad he was, and I never got too much into like whether it was like he himself, like his content was just bad, or like whether he was like drunk and it was like one of those kind of performances or whatever. Mm. But yeah, apparently, uh, don't go see him stand up. Hmm. But um, there, there's so many stuff I do like about this movie. I um, I do like what it has to say about. The kind of satire of like the male chauvinism and mm-hmm. like the the women's lib movement. Although, I feel like uh, I gotta say, I feel like the satire because we've all brought it up at this point. So I'm gonna bring it back up just to get my take. I'm actually a fan of Anchorman too, and I don't like it more than the first film, but I actually thoroughly enjoyed it for the most part. And I think the satire in Anchorman two is not only better than the satire in Anchorman one, but only because I think it's so thin in Anchorman, uh, yeah. The Legend of Ron Bear, like it's just the same joke over and over. But the satire in Anchorman two is honestly better than uh, the I want to say the what it what Nightcrawler is doing, and maybe that's because it's going back to the origins of like cable news and that kind of stuff. But um, where news was still relevant, like we were talking about how like that's why this, these movies work yeah. because it's talking about a time when this actually mattered or whatever. But I gotta say that I don't think that Anchorman holds up as well as I wished it did for me personally because there were just too many moments where, I, besides just feeling like I heard it before or whatever, I just. May, and I want to say, because most of these guys have become so much more famous than they were back then, I, it's almost like it's it's awkward watching them here because I don't think all of them have completely honed in some of their craft. Uh, with the exception of somebody like Steve Carell, who is, I do agree is fantastic in this film and I feel like have not done as something as funny maybe uh, since this and uh, The Office. Even though those are two, yeah. For for role. for me, Steve Carell's high moment always is the forty year old version. But that's just because that is true. Okay, I'm yeah, and I am kind of basically saying from that era because that was yeah. like the next year. Or so uh, that that was weird because he had made another film he's uh, well known for, which is Little Miss Sunshine, which that's true. Which, which he almost didn't get cast because they were, and he was a supporting character in that film. They were too right. concerned that no one was going to know who he was. And, then, yes. and yet after that came out. 
uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin came out, and he was the biggest star from that film. Then. That is true. I forgot about that. Um, so, no, and I, I like him in this movie, um, and especially the way he used, like, a, he's used, like I mentioned earlier, which is that, you know, it's very sparse, and it just kind of wonderfully caps all these scenes, and that they can just go right past it without having to actually dwell on it. I think the only thing I really... Um, one thing I love about this movie is that this is like the first kind of, this is, I want to say the blueprint for all major comedies uh, that we know of for the next like 10 years after this, because this was uh, produced by Judd Apatow. And of mm-hmm. course he had got his start doing uh, TV shows. And once he kept getting canceled, he finally like, okay, I'm going to make the jump to, uh, uh, to movies. And so even though Judd Apatow didn't direct it, I feel like he is, might be the biggest reason why Anchorman existed because I think as far as he has a knack for like talent scouting and realizing who's going to be funny on camera and who isn't and that's kind of why his shows were so popular even though they got canceled because the networks just did not see it at the time because they were so unknown but that's exactly what this film is because Will Ferrell was not a household name Steve Carell was not a household name Paul Rudd all of them you know were these untested I would say comedic talents that ended up being some of the most, I would say, the biggest names in Hollywood. Uh, yeah. And I think that's because of Judd Apatow's involvement and it kind of his, and that's what, he kind of paved this way for, I would say, this very uh, huge trend of kind of man-baby, uh, 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 adolescent comedies type thing, whether it be an Adam McKay-directed absurd uh, kind of movie like Step Brothers and Talented and Nice, or, of course, some the direction that he took it, which is in a more grounded, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, bromance kind of movies or whatever. But I feel like he kind of created, like, not like a Marvel cinematic universe, but well, he set off a chain of events that pretty much gave every single person involved their career. Yeah, even Missy Pyle shows up late yeah. in this film, and, like, she was kind of random then, and she's had somewhat of a career since then. At this point, I think Judd Apatow gets the credit. Yeah. But, like, for a while... And and I I'm definitely guilty of it. Like if if you have never looked up Judd Apatow's credits and what he's credited with he's being just, a part of, that dude yeah. is a fucking god in the comedy world. Like yeah. he he and and like you touched on, he has got a knack for making people stars. He yeah. spots early talent. And Are you disagree? You're giving a face, so you can't dude, just give I, face on podcasts. I, I'm not <laughs> going to. Here's what I'll say about Judd Apatow, and and I don't think he does bad work now necessarily um i think for me uh he because this is really when he came to prominence was really 40 year old virgin was his like coming out party of being a major part of a film where like it became known as an apatow film and there were multiples of them where it'd be right. knocked up he even was involved with super bad somehow but he almost got this lore about him this name which I, I don't want to put him in the same realm, even though I'm going to mention somebody. And I'm not going to say, because he, he, he's not gone off the fucking reservation like this other person has. But somebody like M. Night Shyamalan, who, hold on, who got known for being a name and being related to these. And then all of a sudden, people go see a film just because the director is involved. Like, people go see a Martin Scorsese movie just because it's directed by Martin Scorsese. You're going to see a Judd Apatow movie. The problem is, is that he's attached to so many films and he's almost become that Steven Spielberg person where he's a person who was involved with one meeting with the film and he's the first person who gets announced with the film. Well, he's attached to so many because 
he, he doesn't just direct. He he writes. He I mean, produces. he's a very he big produces. person in the comedy world before he, he became even uh, his behind ri- the camera. His he, writing, his comedy writing goes back. But, oh, but yeah, what I'm his saying, roommate was Adam Sandler. He was always in the comedy scene and right. always kind of, uh, you know, um, he, like behind the scenes. He's he's fucking. He's and embedded. I understand what I'm. Uh, all I'm trying to say though is that he. It's it's almost like his name has become more than it should be now. Like. People throw his name out like, oh, this is an Apatow movie. And sometimes it's not like a true Judd Apatow directed film. Yeah. Well, no. It's it's more like he's he's loosely associated with I understand what you're saying saying because I feel like at least what you're touching on is the fact that some people do misuse the phrase like, oh, that's an Apatow film. But Mm -hmm. there is legitimate truth in the way that I don't even think – uh, applies to the Spielberg uh, comparison, which is I do think Spielberg is kind of like, oh yeah, you know, here's the money, but whatever. I feel like Judd Apatow, that's why he became a big name, was not because he was like, a great director, because that's why Spielberg became a big name. Right. He was directing or whatever. But because he did have this knack for relations and obviously kind of like putting uh, you know talent on screen and figuring out who worked together. I mean, when we look at this web of like what came after Anchorman, we have the uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg comedies that came after those. We have the uh, the more like the kind of nuanced uh, Greg Mottola, uh, uh following like uh, Superbad and uh, Adventureland. Kinda, like they all kind of there's like a lineage that all goes back to Judd Apatow, and it's because he was the one that basically said, "Yes, you and you go work together. Yes, you and you go." Right. And it all came back to me to the fact wow. that. He did these TV shows with these actors, and then he kind of um, gave Adam McKay and I would say Will Ferrell, like, I wouldn't say he gave them their shot or anything like that, because obviously he was not as big, but I do think he was the glue that kind of held this whole thing together, and I do agree that he's not as big as he was right. uh, now or anything like that, or maybe not even as good as he was uh, at one point, but I feel like he does... He he does deserve that kind of Apatow household name. There there are weird things that he's done, like the inclusion of his wife Leslie Mann and their children in films, which is always yeah. kind of odd. Yeah, but I mean, he did that like when twice. You, when you get to his yeah, no, uh, literally twice yeah, he did it and knocked not, up. <laughs> Alex, you've made this argument before. That was a, that just, was a subplot, and I agree a, that this is forty. That was stupid because that was like <laughs> no, just that was yeah. centered around that idea, and so therefore that was a bad and self indulgent project. Uh, but it's not like it's like oh, Anchorman. Look, there's Leslie Mann but, and their children at the background. Or and something. at this point, when when you're him, who, who fucking cares? Like, if he wants to throw his family in there, who by the way are already actors, like the, it's not it's not that much of a reach. Yeah. And and I don't know, like, um, I it it's kind of a I feel like to say that. He, his name is just thrown on a movie, even though he's not like the main producer or director. It's not. It's not necessarily safe. Like it's that's not fair to say think because a, think about it this way. And I know you're not a fan of this, but just as far as like look at the influence, we wouldn't have girls without Judd Apatow, and not because it's his show, but right. because nobody was going to give Lena Dunham a show until Judd Apatow right. yeah. saw her movie Tiny Furniture, loved it as much as he did, right. and then said, "Lena, come with me to HBO." I want to make this happen, Judd. and of course, I want to give you creative control over it. It's not like he was like, "Oh, but I'm going to take over." And he, but he also directed a few episodes too, so it's, he didn't just walk out the room. So I feel like you're somewhat misunderstood. But I do understand when some people throw that term around, like, "Oh, it's an Apatow movie." Well, they have no idea what Judd, that means. Judd Apatow, if not for his ability to to 
um, write or direct or produce. He's just he's very good at putting the pieces together to make a hit. Yeah. Like that's what Judd Apatow he's does. He's kind of like the Norman, the modern day Norman Lear of the film world for me. I guess. But he, here's what I'm going back to what I was saying earlier about the whole Judd Apatow thing. Is there was a while there, like when Superbad came out or whatever, which is you know four years later after he really got his big huge film break. Um, whenever I saw it was a Judd Apatow film because that's the first thing right. that they studio used to put started that putting name in there. It started now, to lose its meaning. Yes, because yes. films like Year One was a Judd Apatow movie, even though he was just a producer on that film. Is he really? Yes. Oh man, that sucks. But <laughs> I, no, no. So I, that's what I'm trying to say is that I understand what you mean. Okay. But that doesn't no. necessarily mean no. that like like I'm just kind of trying to point out is that 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 is actually his talent is producing right. these movies, not so much. Like directing it. At, at a certain point, it. the common denominator when you look at what he's credited as just being a part of, no matter what it is that he's a part of, what he did, if he's a fall. He's, he's the common he denominator. Can make shit like year one. All right. Well, but that's a good. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Kenny. Not. <laughs> That's, I mean, your one's not a good thing to be throwing. But, on. but <laughs> I mean, that's that's. I was just using that yeah. to kind of right. fuel my argument. Yeah. But I, all I'm saying is that I used to always put whenever I saw his name, I thought quality, and that hasn't always been the case the last but five that's years. Never the case with anybody. Back to Anchorman. Can yeah. I talk about my favorite scene from Anchorman? Please let's yes. let's, let's uh, get, as, get back. On as, as my train. favorite scene is part of my favorite portion of the movie where they're all making runs at Veronica Corn's <laughs> Cornerstone. I, I love the Sex Panther scene. That that shit to me, when Brian Fantana is wearing his, his Sex Panther. Oh my God. What is that smell? Oh. That's the smell of desire, my lady. God, no, it smells like, like a used diaper filled with Indian food. Oh. What is that? It smells like a turd covered in burnt hair. Um, yeah, the, the Sex Panther scene, which which also kind of runs into the erection scene when Ron Burgundy has got a massive erection. Don't act like is you're he... not impressed. <laughs> my fa- it's, it's, it, my uh, favorite line of the entire film is such a small thing, but it's in that same kind of scene when he is on the phone saying that she got knocked up and that, well, this is your doctor. You got knocked. And it's totally talking about like the 1970s, like thinking a doctor giving someone their pregnancy results over the phone. Your doctor you got knocked up. Well, yep. yep. You got knocked up. Just going to have to quit. Yep. You're, you're, you're pregnant. I think she, I think she, yes, I think she bought it. That's my favorite line of the whole movie is him looking at champ. There's like laughing. I think she bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Veronica Corningstone. This is your doctor. I have your pregnancy report here. And guess what? You're, you got knocked up. So you probably get out of the news. Who is this? This is Dr. Chim. Dr. Chim Richards. Richards? Ron, is this you? I'm a professional doctor. You saw me, you don't remember. <laughs> you should move. You should get out of the business. This is pathetic. You're pathetic. <laughs> What'd you say? She, I, don't, I think she bought it. Honestly, my favorite line is actually during the credits, during the outtakes. Because first of all, I gotta say that is a lost art. That I don't care how cheesy 
those kind of things ever got, I wish outtakes were still in credits because I just find them hilarious. Mm. Even Agreed. when the movie is shit, like I'd rather watch the outtakes than the bad Agreed. movie. all the way. Um, but one of my favorite that I laugh the hardest at in the entire movie is actually during the outtakes when he does the San Diego, it means a whale's vagina. He starts and laughing. He, oh my God, like I've never, he just, it's one of those where it's like when you watch the movie, you're like, how can they keep a straight face? And then you watch the outtakes, you're like, oh, of course. They, they, they think it's just as ridiculous as you you know you do and but even that so whenever i watch the movie even just that scene when he says a whale's vagina and then veronica's like i don't think that's right <laughs> that, um, that, that's one of my will ferrell was always just really good about keeping a straight face so all the way back to snl yeah when, like when when will ferrell broke character that was that was a glorious moment on snl because he's so good about not i, ever... drive, I drive a dodge stratus they oh, made fun man. of it. Um, they made fun of was it uh, Jimmy Fallon and Horatio yes. Sands about how they they made a whole segment out of it. G- Jimmy the, uh, Fallon specifically. <laughs> he, he's the one who not only that, but to the point where like people got pissed at him. Like some people didn't mind or whatever, but like Tracy Morgan basically told him that if he ever did that during his sketches, that he would like hurt him or something. Yeah, now that guy's fucking the host of Tonight Show. That looks like where we're at in society. Yeah, <laughs> fuck Jimmy. Fuck Jimmy Fallon. All right. So, um, what else does anybody have to say about? Anchorman. We've been talking about it for even though we've talked about Judd Apatow and other things. Oh, I mean, that's where it all started. So. Yeah. Um, so, do you guys want to get to sure. ratings, or do you have anything else? Uh, let, anything else? Anyone else remember about Anchorman? Just the chemistry of the cast. Yeah. I felt like is what made this movie so strong. Just I. I don't know. I always come back to the uh, when they when they were when they were singing the afternoon delight scene. Like yeah. that. That just to me. I don't know. It just kind of summed up how good they were as a group. And I was going to say that the... Oh, I'm sorry. Tucson, would you I, like to say something? I was about to break into song. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Oh, oh, oh you oh, were thank, literally trying to compose a song. Yeah. Right. Thank God I interrupted that. <laughs> <laughs> afternoon delight. Um, but actually, the uh, the afternoon delight scene, I think, is a great example of what makes this movie so... Tucson, really? No, I'm not really <laughs> going to do it. That's yeah, a great example of what makes this movie so great because if you were to like list off some of the biggest and most memorable jokes in this movie, it sounds like they're all from different movies. I mean, you literally have a joke where, like, like we're just saying now, all four characters start singing uh, "Afternoon Delight." Afternoon Delight. Like in harmony, and that's like that's the joke. It's not like then they're also like whatever. It's the fact that they're actually giving it their all during that like quote unquote performance. Then there's a joke about um, what's you know, love like, Ron? Yeah, what is that? Yes. <laughs> God damn it, Tucson! <laughs> Every episode, man. Uh, I don't. I don't know where I was yeah. going with that, but I, I wanted to say that like. I feel like all the jokes of this movie like range from so many different like angles because there there are sing alongs, there are dream sequences, there are just innuendos there that that's what made this movie I would think like make a lasting impression because it's not like and I love these movies, but it's not like the actual like Apatow directed films where it's pretty much the kind of the same thing, which is just improvising and riffing on whatever uh, dirty joke they could tell and that kind of stuff. This was like absurdity to the wall. And doing them all so well from so many different like approaches. Yeah, and not only that, but then keeping the straight face to the absurdity. I mean, one of the funniest jokes in the movie is, um, Brick, where'd you get a hand grenade? (laughs) I found it. Yeah, it's that kind of thing where like it's so absurd and then yet they're also like 
in that moment with it that it's just like they're both commenting on it, and yet they're also still not reacting properly to it because they're they're just curious. They're not necessarily worried and type mm-hmm. things. And we so. never even touched on the fact that Ron Burgundy is a master jazz flute player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The less said about that, the better, in my opinion. Because I oh. didn't like that part. No, I, that's where that's another. That's one of those things where it just kind of lost its whatever. Yeah, when he starts playing. I mean, I, I giggle for like a second because of his like horrible, uh, like whatever, you, not lip syncing, but yeah. Well, right, yeah. You, playing. Right. Uh, Obviously, uh, Will Ferrell does not know how to play right. the flute. Right, but it, it, like, all, like when he just starts standing on the tables and all that kind of, like I'm just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. It's, um, but... But that's the thing, though. That that that's a, that's another joke in this movie that just doesn't seem like it sits right next to somebody saying Bigfoot's dick. I mean, you know, like it, it does go for any joke it wants to, and that's what makes it so much fun. When in Rome. <laughs> that being said, Kenny, why don't we start with you with uh, a ratings for this uh, movie? Is that we've, we've talked a lot about ju- not just Anchorman, but about the surrounding characters and directors and producers and writers and. A lot about Anchorman as a whole. Let's get your overall feelings and rating for Anchorman. Well, I gave my rating right up front. It's, you did. It's a perfect 5 out of 5 for me. And um, Unfortunately, it kind of, as was the case with Anchorman 2, like it has ultimately ruined the way I've watched other comedies because uh, it's just... Most, what can ever live up to Anchorman? Right, most comedies for me, it, I try to not ever do that. I try to watch movies individually and subjectively but like i just that's how much i like anchorman where that's the bar that all comedies for me tend to fall short of okay so yeah five out of five for me so i uh also uh, i already gave my rating i gave this a five out of five i'm a big fan of anchorman um i love it although i will not disagree with you, but I think that it sets the bar for these kind of comedies because I feel like there are other kind of comedies that are sort of different, like Wedding Crashers is a film that I would say is different, where I'm a huge fan of that, but that's a different kind of movie where yeah. that's almost like a like a buddy movie, like about two guys kind of film. And, and a little really, more grounded. Yeah, it's really more, honestly, about Owen Wilson's character than anything. And, and Vince Vaughn, although he's involved early in the film, so he gets kind of thrown into that. He's almost like a side character for most of the film. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there are different kinds of comedies that are not even different genres, I would say, but they're just like different types of comedies where oh, yeah. I agree with you with this kind of movie. Right. Anchorman is really the bar for me. Like anything is not going to come close to that when it comes yeah. to these kind of movies. And I, I'm just a huge fan of this film. And for me, I am not a fan of Will Ferrell in general. Like I love movies in this era like this and Talladega Nights, which you mentioned earlier. But I, you know, I'm not a huge Will Ferrell fan, but I just love this movie. I love almost everything about it, even the scenes that aren't the best scenes, like the flute scene. I still find a lot of joy in them. And a a lot of it does come up to the cameos, too, Uh, like the Danny Trejo cameo in the uh, where he says something in plain English about something in Ron Burgundy says, which is the callback to early in the film that he can't understand him because he's a, he's a Mexican guy. So. Spanish. <laughs> yeah. It's just ridiculous. And I loved almost every minute. Yeah. Of it, you're so. onto something with it being a different, like there, there, there are different subcategories of, of comedies yeah. where these, these movies with, with this core kind of group of actors from this it's time kind of period. Branded by the internet as the brat pack. Yeah. The, the frat pack. They, oh, that's what they call it? them. The frat pack. Was it? It yeah. started around... the brat pack? I feel like there's also a brat pack. I don't know. 
Started around I like, didn't mean the like frat pack. Okay. Old, old school and kind of went through the mid to technically the frat pack is Luke Wilson, right? Uh, Seth Rogen, Vince Vaughn, uh, Owen Wilson, Ben oh, Stiller. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's, that was kind of all, a weird. All of those movies, I like every time one would come out. I would be excited for it, but Anchorman to me kind of spoiled that whole group. Like, didn't spoil. I can still watch individually all those other movies. I just want to go on record and say that the Brat Pack is a real thing. Okay, but it's it's actually much much earlier. That was the uh, that consisted of (laughs) Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Rob Lowe, uh, Andrew McCarthy. Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, kind of during, during the... Oh, uh, so it's from the Breakfast Club. Yeah, oh, well, okay. the bre- but uh, what's his name? Uh, John Hughes kind of era. Oh, like th- okay. Those were the, the... But yeah, I bet Frat Pack, of course. Just one of, another one of those things that people made out of, kind of like people say everything with a gate at the end of it now. It's just yes. gotten thrown around. Yes. Everyone trying to make everything sound like the Rat Pack. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a big fan of Anchorman. Nick, let's move on to you. I very much enjoy this film. I, there's so many scenes that are obviously, yeah, so quotable, uh, very funny, and I could I could easily watch this film numerous times. Having said that, I, I hadn't watched it in so many years when I did revisit it for this, and because of that, I was a little disappointed by the fact that I wasn't laughing as much as I once did. And I think that's both a mixture of the fact that this the humor itself did not hold up as what could that mean we all comedy is the most subjective uh form of anything because we just cannot pinpoint any kind of science as to like what makes you i mean obviously you can trace it back to what you grew up with and stuff like that but what makes somebody laugh can also make somebody else just get fucking furious fucking fold their arms and just sit there in the theater angry (laughs) and so uh but no this is a film that i do very much enjoy and um, i just don't love it as much as i did and because of that and i do think it is kind of that um experience that this is maybe the most quoted film that i know of uh, as far as maybe from my generation i would say and that's probably uh and it's not the film's fault but it does have a effect on it for me that I feel like I have heard this so many times that when I hear it in the original context it, might, it almost might not even seem as funny because not because they whatever but because when you hear it so many times it's almost like it takes on its own kind of life and tradition that you kind of forget that oh all it really was was just him saying it this way or something like that outside so, of the film itself yeah yeah so because of that I only give it three and a half out of five stars but um I uh and Alex is uh, shaking. His I was head. gonna fucking kill you if he gave it anything less. Than yeah, no, I, I, I am a big fan of it. Good, very good. So uh, yeah. yeah, I, yeah, I don't have anything more to say. Good job. Yeah, good he, was, job. he was about to edit your part. Of, I was gonna kill you if well, you said anything oh less God. than three and a half. So I will. You know what? Let's do it over, and I will. <laughs> Moving on to Jason. All right. Um, I love this film. I think that this is a, this is such a important. Uh, comedy film for the time that it came out just because I, I do keep on thinking that it is the precedent for not only Will Ferrell's career but so many of the other people that were involved in this film I think that it's a tightly written script I'm going to give it a uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on, on the fence here I want to give it a four and a half out of five okay. I want to give it a four and a half out of five because as much as I do think that it is a exceptionally strong and consistent um, like comedy film, I I do agree with a lot of uh, 
Nick's points that sometimes comedies have a have a habit of their jokes taking on a life of their own outside of the context of the actual film, and that has a habit of diluting some of the actual like effect and the actual like um, weight of those jokes hitting as hard as they they did when they first came out. But for me, I thought that these jokes were just as funny as they were when I first saw it, even if there was a little bit dulled for the fact that I had seen it before. So four and a half out of me. When you say that, I, I keep thinking of the Rick James joke from the Chappelle show. Like I'm Rick James. Oh my like god, that joke was so overquoted, yeah. overused. Yes, and- yes, white friend. Yes, yes. Come to me and tell me that you're Rick James again, bitch. Yes, I find that so hilarious. Do the- I sense a little sarcasm in that? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. All right, very good, guys. Thank you uh, for talking about Anchorman. This was a interesting episode that went into a lot of different areas, but um, I think think we did a good job with our first true comedy episode. Uh, if you have any other comedy requests that you have uh, that we could do with comedy episodes, we haven't done that much uh, so far. You can always send those to a film tank show at gmail.com. That's also where you could send your feelings on uh, the upcoming Mad Max Fury Road movie. Oh, yeah. Popcorn time. As, as Kenny's yawning over yeah. there, he's so excited. I, I think out of all of us, you're the most excited for Mad Max. That would be true. Yeah. I was, yeah Tucson Maybe also. not. Oh, Tucson shit. also. Charlie's Theron. Yeah, I forgot Charlie's Theron's in this movie, so he, <laughs> get, he gets the automatic biggest yeah. boner award for I, this movie. I yeah. think so. He does. Yeah. But I know you guys are excited for There have been a lot of great reviews, uh, and if you... Uh, although I guess we're not going to have this up before we do the episode, but if down the line, if you want to just bring up whatever you, or your feelings on Mad Max are, if you've seen it already, send those to filmtankshow at gmail.com and we'll be doing an episode on that next week. Um, you could also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show and on filmtankshow.com or at iTunes and Stitcher. Get those reviews. Absolutely, that would be great. Rating reviews would be awesome. Please, please. And didn't mean to from people other than Canada, so that'd be good. I didn't mean to sound bossy. Please, please give the reviews. <laughs> now or, you sound desperate. Or we'll fucking kill you. Wow, <laughs> whatever. Oh, went just, from went from bossy <laughs> to desperate to homicidal. <laughs> just turned into a Marvel executive right there. I'm sorry, I just blacked out. What just happened? <laughs> <laughs> so from Nick Cheney, Tucson Egan, Kenny Marcellus, and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to episode. 13 of Film Tank. We will catch up with you next time. Stay classy, listeners. Afternoon delight.